Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top, the body positive, sex positive show with your host Jenny Lynn and Auntie Vice. This show contains explicit language, not suitable for most minors or easily offended majors. It contains opinionated discussion about politics, race, sex, fat folks, gender, which may not be suitable for conservatives. Additionally, some shows may contain references to science, statistics, history, research, mathematics, and reality, which may not be suitable for American evangelicals. Hi, and welcome to episode five of Fat Chicks on Top. I'm your co-host, Auntie Vice, here with my sexy co-host, Jenny Lynn. Hey. Hey, it's good to be back. We have a great show for you today. We are talking to Allison Bondageland, one of the top kink sites in the world for sexy femdom bondage and talking about putting the fun back in femdom. Silliness. And then we have sister Frances Ass Easy from the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence talking about an upcoming Chunky Dunk. Yes, splish splash. And then one of our favorite and most dear friends, Diana Hong. Aww. We love her. She's amazing. She's going to love your cookies. I think everybody loves my cookies. <laughs> your cookies bring all the girls to the yard. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are talking about fat people occupying space. We have to do that. So I know I'm on stage regularly and have to take up that space. And I don't always feel very confident standing there. I feel like people are looking at me like I am just my own circus tent of enjoyment for them. Like dance, do the thing, three ring circus. And I really have to go through the most to feel comfortable on stage. You know, two hours of prep. You know, if I don't feel comfortable, I won't wear it. I end up leaving in some jeans and a baggy t-shirt sometimes. I just want to hide. What about you? For me, I've never been been small. I've never been subtle. While I was thin, I've always been tall. And there's something about me that I've never been able to blend in. Mm. I walk in a room and people notice, which could be a good thing, but can also be very uncomfortable. As somebody who's female-bodied and stuff, I was raised with all the cultural norms that I'm supposed to be quiet and demure and hide in the background. And none of those ever fit me. And one of the things I learned very early is people stared a lot. And I had to learn to actually block out how people look at me to be able to move because it's incredibly intimidating and, and awkward. Yeah, I, I can see that, especially, you know, as a tall person. My mother is tall. I'm not tall. But I've, I've been with my mother in, in situations. And when she walks in the room, when the heads go up mm -hmm. and like rotate around as people walk by, it's it's an interesting feeling and you know people are looking mm -hmm. i think you look wonderful you're fun to look at in good ways <laughs> so um i mean i enjoy your presence and i would say the first time i saw you your body and your posture and the confidence that i saw you exude mm -hmm. in your words were definitely very dynamic and made you stand out and you really seemed to own your body um what are some things you do to own your space I had to stop looking at people and stop worrying about how they looked at me so much so that I actually miss a lot of how people look at me. My ex-wife used to laugh all the time because as somebody who is five feet tall, she has a very different perspective on the world <laughs> than I do at six feet. And she regularly tells the story. The first year we were dating in New York City, we were walking through Times Square and I was very wearing a very short dress and mm -hmm. very high heels. And she watched a guy walk down the street and actually run in to a light post because <laughs> he was looking at me and I didn't see any of this happen. Like she was laughing hysterically because it was literally the wing. Yeah. Like, you know, 
cartoony thing. And, and I just oblivious. I had to be oblivious because right. it's, it gets to be too much. Is it like a defense mechanism? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, I, and the bigger I've gotten, the fatter I've gotten, the, I do know who just like people stare when I sit down and it's kind of like, well, let's see how that chair holds up. Mm. And, or the other thing is people will stare at you when you eat in public. Yeah. And I have people, I'm not sure if you have the same experience, who feel comfortable making comments about a big girl eating. I feel the looks, but I've never had someone directly say something. Actually, when I first started dating my husband, I was about a size nine. Um, and I'm I'm pretty curvy, I, like full breasts, you know what I mean? And it was my, my now mother-in-law's goal in life to fatten me up, to like prove myself mm-hmm. through food to mm-hmm. be a compatible partner. So I think culturally weight is accepted differently. My husband is black. And while he doesn't necessarily navigate towards fat, he's definitely a drawn to thicker, you know. And so I've always felt comfortable in my skin around them. But it was their goal to fatten me up. Like she put an ass on me. And I'm like, damn, fuck. Okay. I, I It's, it's mm-hmm. actually helped me. My body was so disproportionate with my breasts and everything Mm -hmm. that now you know i can wear an xl or a double xl and fill out the shirt correctly and it fit around my boobs and everything i became more comfortable and confident in my clothes because of my fat i think some of it does give you that like you get to a point where you know you're not going to meet societal expectations Mm -hmm. When I was younger, you know, I did competitive swimming in in high school. I fenced competitively in college. I was the the athlete Mm -hmm. type. But being tall and I've never been able to pass for straight. You know, it took me a minute to understand that I was never going to fit in. And then I got okay with never fitting in. And then I got okay with occupying space, both physically and emotionally. And for me, it became a source of power because when I started teaching in university and such, I would do the jumbo classes with 500 students in a lecture hall. And it's like, nah, y'all are going to look at me and listen up. Mm-hmm. Like, put down those phones, stop that texting, and here's your lecture. And let's talk about the Electoral College, which is incredibly boring. And, you know, I, I learned to use it in politics, right? And, and dress for the part. Like, I would come in in a pencil skirt and a high neck silk blouse and five inch stilettos and an entire dais of legislatures like, oh, she must know what she's talking about. It's like, I haven't opened up my mouth yet, but, you know, being tall and large and occupying that space, oh, you you must be intelligent. Right. And so I learned to harness that power. I think that's powerful. Yeah, I I like to write about being an average woman, Mm -hmm. you know, my thickness, my curves. And I think people, it makes other people more comfortable Mm -hmm. with my weight. And I learned in a workshop once that you have to give other people permission Mm -hmm. to accept you Mm -hmm. and so that's really why i started writing pieces that were a direct reflection of my actual life my lifestyle how i feel my opinions so people could connect with me better and in doing that i've gotten a large fan base of women that are Mm -hmm. very supportive i i have like an allyship with these people and Mm -hmm. it's been really helpful navigating my weight and my space well, I think you hit on a critical point there of giving people permission. One of the, th- you know, 
one of the things when I switched over from working in politics and teaching to writing about sexuality is all of a sudden people would come up to me at different events and say, you know, I, I've read your stuff and oh my God, I've never told anybody this. Right. And I, you know, I consider that incredibly flattering because they're, they're trusting me enough, but it was giving them permission of saying, yeah, I do all my weird shit and, and I, I exist and I'm not going to sweat it. And they know that I'm whatever they come up and tell me, I'm not going to sweat it with them. Right. And I think you and I have both done burlesque in various styles. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're larger on stage and you're like, no, I'm going to be sexy. Like all of a sudden people are like, okay, I can, I can kind of see myself doing that. Like I get why that's sexy now. Hearing the applause for a big girl, shake it. I mean, when, when someone does something that's so dynamic as a bigger girl on stage, just to hear that roar, mm -hmm. I feel empowered for mm -hmm. that woman on stage. I saw someone really develop their burlesque over this last few months. Mm -hmm. And she did something where she just threw these strings out into the audience. Mm -hmm. And ah, oh my God, it was like she just completely leveled up in ownership of herself mm -hmm. She took charge of the entire room in mm -hmm. that moment. And I was so empowered by her. I was like, yes, I'm going to go home. I feel confident. Mm -hmm. She is sexy. She's big. She's beautiful. Mm -hmm. She's got teal hair. It's blue. Like, mm -hmm. I, I love this. I, I fucking love it. And I just have to own those moments with other people and like kind of coattail that mm -hmm. experience. Like if you see these people that are confident, owning it, mm -hmm. loving it, and other people in safe spaces that are accepting it, it you find your family <laughs> well and you were able to do that for other people you participated in a photo shoot that i did right and we'll we'll have links to this on the site but a whole series of photos of women and female identified people in sexy shots and i specifically looked for people who are not traditionally young thin and white right it's a whole range of people dressed sexy and feeling confident in themselves in photographs and one thing i've heard a lot of people tell me is that oh my god i finally saw somebody who looks like me like right. a number of women have had children they've got you know their breasts have dropped because when you nurse you mm -hmm. know the bigger they are the harder they fall i think someone at that shoot was nursing currently yeah like you know like that was happening <laughs> you know and, and people with tattoos and i you know when i worked with my photographers i said don't photograph out all the stretch marks you know pimples fine you know take out some of the blemishes a little more even skin tone because it's just you right. know you photoshop but i said don't photograph out stretch marks i don't want to photograph out rolls i don't want to stretch and lengthen bodies right i want people to look at people how they look mm -hmm. and when they feel okay and when people see that, it's like, oh, my God, I can kind of get how somebody would see a body like mine as attractive. And as even if you're not bigger, I think a lot of people go through a hard times feeling they're they're sexy and feeling OK in their own bodies and like, yeah, I'm good. Well, I think that the day of that shoot, you you hit on something that was really important. Come in what makes you feel sexy. Mm -hmm. Like there was no this woman's wearing this. This woman's wearing like it's. It's literally we all got there and we looked completely different, mm -hmm. very unique. And we all felt that like I showed up in red crotchless panties like, let's do this. <laughs> I am ready, um, mm -hmm. you know, and it was it was beautiful. And everyone there, it was a really diverse group. I was mm -hmm. really proud to be with such diverse women. And then seeing the show at Wicked Ground, mm -hmm. which we love Wicked Ground and and 
all of the photography Mm -hmm. and people walking in that didn't know who you were or who I was and um, really taking the opportunity to look at each one. It was on a voyeur level, super turn on, Mm -hmm. but kind of uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just, I really loved that experience. And you Mm -hmm. can see that everyone there that was seeing the photo Mm -hmm. was empowered and felt good like these leather daddy bears were mm-hmm. like yes with your ass girl and i was like, oh my god hi <laughs> and that feels so good because they're like i think what comes across in a lot of those is people are like yeah this is this is fun i i like who i am at this moment in time right and i think a lot of us struggle with that yeah a large part of our lives and then i sent my mom the um lend a hand card mm-hmm. <laughs> yep sure did that's like a hand around a penis you know just just going for it just like thank you for having us she she sent back quite the crude message like (laughs) (laughs) but she loved it Mm -hmm. i sent that to my mom like you you need to be able to have these relationships with your family and, Mm -hmm. and stuff and it's really healthier if people are like supportive of your your strange your body, your kink, all of these things. You've got to find it should pe- be fun, right? Mm-hmm. And find people into your weird. Yeah, even we- your family. Yes. <laughs> Which is why we brought on our our guest today. So I want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about them. We have uh, Alice in Bondage Land, who <sighs> has this amazing site, and she has really focused on porn that shows what sex is like for most of us. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's not weirdly staged angles so you get you know p and v shots the Mm -hmm. whole time it shows people enjoying themselves and doing this all these weird sex things because most of us do weird sex things kind of kind of it's a strange it gets strange and and good sex is laughing like i take great pride in the ability to be spontaneous and funny in sex and make somebody laugh so hard they lose a heart on oh like that that's a win for me. That's that's what does it for you. I, like, I have a finish for making. Wah. No, <laughs> you have a you start laughing, and then you know the hard on starts bouncing, and it starts yeah, tilt. It, yeah, yeah, it comes back. It does. It comes back. But to have that much fun and connection, yeah. and then we have Sister uh, Frances Assisi with the Sisters of Petrol Indulgence, and this is a group who really work at meeting people where they're at, mm-hmm. and then do, serving their community. And they're going to be talking about the Chunky Dunk coming up here in Sacramento. I'm so excited for this. I have my first bikini in like, well, I've always had a bikini, but I could just never wear it in public. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm sporting the stretch marks. The roll is all happening. Mm -hmm. I love it. So, yeah, I'm I'm so ready for this. And we will both be there in bikinis. I will be in a crap ton of sunscreen. I will not. I will be bronzing my ass off. Yeah, I'm avoiding hives. Yeah, (laughs) I get tan. He will be talking about learning to love his own larger body, which can be very hard, especially in the gay male community. Right. And talking about rocking his own awesome self there. And then we have Diana Hong, who is phenomenal, talking about moving from being in professional sports to being in comedy. And And weed and cookies. She's talking about weed and cookies. A lot of weed and cookies. (laughs) And really accepting herself as Definitely. she is because there was she went through a lot of pressure to be one type of person on one goal and did you know a 90 degree turn and went with it um which i think is an, an incredibly powerful story and she's funny as all get out you know la is really going to be lucky to have her too she is moving down south so if you're part of that 
comedy community down there, please welcome her in. Like, open arms. Open arms. She is really leaving a legacy in Sacramento with her show here. So we're we're really like sad to to miss her in our area, but it's going to be a good move for her. Yes, and we will get stoned with her as many times as possible between now and when when she leaves. Yes. So stay tuned through the break. We will be back shortly with Allison Bondageland. Thank you. Thank you for coming back to Fat Chicks on Top. We're here today with Allison Bondageland. She runs a porn site, basically femdom relationships, and the tag of putting the fun back in femdom. So welcome to the show. Hello there, ladies. Hello. I'm excited to be here. Me too. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with all of the lingo, what's the difference between a dom and a femdom? Um, well, I think a dom can be gender neutral, but in a, a world that's mostly dominated by male dominant imagery, the tendency is to assume that when you use the word dom or dominant, that you're talking about a male dom who's probably topping a woman. And femdom is a way to specifically talk about women who are dominant, mm-hmm. which is a little odd. That's like that's like saying a stewardess, uh-huh. you know, right. or a waitress versus a waitron. And so I like to mix it up a little bit. But in the world of porn, if you know what you're looking for, femdom is kind of the Internet shorthand for a woman being in charge of the situation. Love it. Now, in a lot of porn, as well as seeking out professionals, there are quite a few femdoms. Was this something you got in because it was a great professional route? Was it something you were drawn to more personally beforehand? How did you get into being a dominant woman? Well, I come from a long line of dominant women, some of whom are realizing it in a kinky way now that they're older, and some of whom um, were never never detailed to me if their domination extended into the bedroom. But I, I come from female warriors and women in charge and women who broke a lot of boundaries in vanilla business worlds. So um, I think I come by the being in charge part quite naturally. I've never been a dominatrix in the sense that I've never done private sessions for money, Mm -hmm. uh, but I've been involved in the lifestyle since I turned, well, I technically since I turned 18, I was legally emancipated at 16 Mm -hmm. and I tried to attend local munches with my emancipation paperwork and they made me a deal saying that they would let me come back when I finally turned 18 and that in exchange for not getting them into a risky situation, they'd throw me a birthday party when it finally happened. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so my, my whole sexuality has been kinky, and I'm not really sure where I first encountered it. I remember coloring in coloring books that had some bondage imagery. I watched the Batman Adam West TV show. Mm-hmm. I was into comic books. People were always getting tied up there. But when I came out to my first partner in high school, they they said, me too. They like they were really excited and told me all about their weird stuff. Oh, cool. Wonderful. So I've never really had a vanilla relationship either because I just... I mean, part of it might be because I met them at an anime convention. I don't know that there's anyone vanilla at an anime convention. <laughs> exactly. But I've just known from a very young age that uh, vanilla sex wasn't really for me. And I came of, eight, of age during the AIDS crisis where uh, penis and vagina sex would kill mm-hmm. you. So it, it was very exciting to me to find very queer, very fluid possibilities in the roles you could play and the people you could play it with that wouldn't kill you. True. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's it's so. an amazing. I'm finding the more people I talk to who are in our our age group, because 
I came of age about the same time you did, that finding kink and going through the convention, especially the, the Comic-Cons and the anime, that was an incredibly formative role for sexuality. Like, it gave you Definitely. lots of new options that weren't presented in larger media. Exactly. So, speaking of representation in larger media... Well, I was a photographer for a very long time as an artistic pursuit, and it just escalated from there. You know, I mean, technically, before I had a, a camera, I drew naughty pictures. Mm -hmm. So then I got a Polaroid, and then I got a 35 millimeter, and then somebody exposed my film because they disagreed with the subject matter. Mm -hmm. So then I got into digital because it wouldn't require that last step. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I never planned on publishing it. I don't know what I was really <laughs> doing with it besides creating for my partners and I. You know, we were really looking for for something that reflected our values and reflected the kind of sex that we were having and the kind of laughter that we were having. Mm -hmm. And at the time, media was very limited to just angry looking people being mean to each other. And while we engaged in very heavy SM, we were never angry about mm -hmm. it. So um, I, I built a collection of kind of a personal wank bank and then a dear friend <coughs> found out about it and insisted that I had to start publishing it. So the, the website was built for me mm -hmm. by someone who uh, it, essentially that was my golden ticket that somebody out there would want to see it mm -hmm. and that somebody out there would kind of get why we were making it and and what we were about with our our silliness mm -hmm. you know a lot of what i make is very campy mm -hmm. but that's because i masturbate to a lot of things that are very <laughs> campy it all started because i couldn't find anyone in porn that looked like me mm -hmm. or that acted like me so i had to kind of be the porn i wanted to see in the world and it's it's just blossomed more and more and more since then <laughs> so you bring up you bring up representation, and it's it's true. Whether whether you're a dominant woman, you're bigger, you're a person of color, you're disabled. A lot of these groups aren't represented very fully in porn, and if they are, they're very fetishized and and stylized. Why is it important for most people to see themselves in porn? And uh, for me, I. I didn't feel like I was valid as a dominant woman because I couldn't find any dominant women that looked or sounded or acted like me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I kind of questioned if if kink was right for me or not, because I couldn't find examples that I could relate to. Mm -hmm. And I think especially if, um, if if you are a kinky person and you're trying to introduce your partner to kink, mm -hmm. if you show them most media out there, it's it's kind of off putting. No one looks like they're having a good time. Yeah. Um, so I think that showing that it's fun is is the first step. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, if you want to try this stuff at home, you're looking for an example that you can relate to. And most of us don't look like mainstream porn people. Right. You know, even even mainstream porn people don't really <laughs> look like mainstream porn people until, right. um, you know, makeup and hair extensions and in some cases surgery to get to that point. So if you're going to show a curious person hey, we should try this, watch this video with me, it really helps if the person doing it looks like them and is mirroring for them that, hey, this thing is fun, mm -hmm. hey, I'm having a good time. Um, because expectations, you know, if you expect to have a bad time, if you expect to have to be angry about mm -hmm. it, then it won't be fun in the same way, where if you, if you feel you're given permission 
to experiment or be represented or laugh mm-hmm. or try different things or have pleasure even mm-hmm. you know a lot of a lot of mainstream porn there's not a lot of female pleasure involved as well so i try to um i try to give people permission by proxy mm-hmm. Like show them like this is real and this is something that you can do and this is something you might even enjoy. So I representation is important to me because that was the spark that got me into doing this was that need to see someone out there that I could relate to. And so I try to provide a lot of on ramps for people at home. You know, the vast majority of them might never be brave enough to go into a dungeon mm-hmm. Or they might not live within 500 miles of a dungeon that they could even go to mm-hmm. if they were brave enough. Mm-hmm. So, so um, for a lot of people, the internet is their only outlet or their only proof that other people do this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to show them something that reflects a broad range of experiences and a broad range of the people who really do it. So it's important to me that I not... I, I look for the enjoyment more than I look for the, uh, a a visual Mm -hmm. cue from someone. And I come from a family that's multiracial and I come from a family that is very involved in the Paralympics. Mm -hmm. And so representation of different body types is really important to me. I want to show them that even if they are a viewer at home, Mm -hmm. that there is a place for them in kink, that there's a place for them in the kink community. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I, I don't want people to think that it's only a certain look or a certain age group or a certain race mm. that enjoys this kind of stuff. So in your day-to-day life, I know you teach some classes. And how do you take your lifestyle into vanilla communities and introduce those concepts for their negotiation and um, their betterment? Well, I work in I work in STEM. So I encounter a lot of socially awkward situations where people have either never negotiated boundaries before or are used to negotiating from a place of institutionalized power mm-hmm. or awkwardness. Right. You know, there's a lot of awkward men in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean a lot of awkward women also, but they tend to be less aggressive. So I have a lot of opportunities to educate people um, because I'm a purple haired woman at a tech convention, but I'm not a secretary, you know, I'm an engineer. So there's like a a series of social hurdles, but I really like helping people clarify how to negotiate boundaries. And that's something that is kind of extra important in the dungeon because we're humans of pain and torment. But I think it's just a, a reflection of how important that is in everyday life and also in the vanilla world. So I I do a lot of breaking down of social cues in my classes. I teach um, Flirting 101, a.k.a. Flirting for Engineers. Mm -hmm. And we literally have a flow chart Mm -hmm. of uh, is this person flirting with me or are they just being nice? Because sometimes if you don't have uh, a a certain level of social awareness or if it's never been kind of explained to you what's going Mm -hmm. on, um, the that line blurs, especially when women tend to smile when they get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people can read that as a yes when really it's a I feel awkward and unsafe. Me. <laughs> That's- so I do a lot of breaking down of, of social cues and physical cues. And like, here are the symptoms of flirting. Here are the symptoms of when someone feels uncomfortable with you. And we're just going to lay it all out and look at them. And that way, when they come out in the wild, you'll know what they are. In the wild. Um, in your cubicle. In the wild. <laughs> exactly. 
a lot of my art um, in the kinky world and in the non-kinky world and in my classes is about empowering people by giving them permission. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are living their life waiting for someone else to give them permission to be themselves Mm -hmm. or to explore these things. And so I try to be that by proxy. Mm -hmm. I try to give them permission and give them like a little map or a little toolkit or some tips and, but mostly just say, yes, you can do it. Yes, this is for you. Yes, you should try it. Awesome. So you mentioned your art. I know you have an art show opening at Wicked Grounds. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the concept uh, of that show? Uh, the art show is coming up on the 21st. Um, it's my first full-scale art show, uh, but it's a duo art show with San Francisco Teat. So my art is all based off of fortune cookie fortunes because that's one of the only ways that we allow magic to enter into our lives Mm -hmm. in the vanilla world. And her art is based off of breast milk. So we're having the milk and cookies show. Um, The (laughs) opening party is going to be Friday the 21st at Wicked Grounds in San Francisco. But the show will be up for about a month and a half. So if you're listening to this in an archive, it should be up probably through Burning Man, is my guess, in the late August time. That's a good date. Uh, And I'm excited about it. (laughs) You've mentioned a couple of times that you incorporate a lot of humor and laughter into your porn. What has been, when when people see it and stuff, what is generally their response? Because most porn, if you look at it, nobody's laughing, ever. Mm-mm. And th- they say ridiculous no. things, and you're like, how are you keeping a straight face? So when people see your porn and people laughing and having a good time, what's been the general response you get? A lot of the fan mail that I get is about the laughter mm-hmm. and about my my two of my favorite fan mails. One of them said... This is a movie I feel like I can finally show my wife. Oh, that's you know, Everyone in this movie is having a good time. Mm-hmm. So this is a movie I would want to share with her mm-hmm. because I think she'd like, I, I think she would like that you're all having so much fun. Mm-hmm. Even if she didn't like what you were doing, she'd like that you were having fun. Mm-hmm. But my all-time fan mail, I, I actually printed it out and put it in a little frame on my desk. Mm-hmm. It says, wow, Alice. Your new update where you went cross country on the train was incredible, but I don't know how to masturbate to it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Because I I want to show that I'm doing it for real. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone can say, oh, this person was in this bondage for 24 hours. But there's no proof. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no way to tell for sure. It could be camera tricks. Mm -hmm. So I took a, a cross-country train ride, and I time-lapsed it. So you can see the entire United States go by um, while this person in the foreground is in bondage. But apparently, it's hard to <laughs> masturbate, too. And I, I just, I love that comment. Like, I love it. I love what you do. It's amazing. And I don't know how to masturbate, too. Aww, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, we need to get to the point where um, we're going to wrap it up. If people want to find you, find your site, find out more about the different events you host, what's the best way to go about it? Um, well, I'm aliceinbondageland.com, and that's where I post most of my media. I'm also at bondageland on Twitter, and go ask Alice on FetLife. Please feel free to at me on Twitter. I tend to read my feed pretty often. FetLife is a little slower because that site has a little bit more spam. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you wanted to check out any of these crazy videos, it's aliceinbondageland.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show, and good luck with the art show and your upcoming events. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to meet you both. Thank you so much for having a podcast. 
coming back to Fact Chicks on Top. This is Auntie Vice, and I am here today with Sister Frances Azizi from the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Hey, thanks for joining us. So, hey, I asked you to come on the show so that we can talk a little bit about the sisters, about your mission, and about some of the great events you host. So, for people who don't know who the sisters are, what's the best way you sum up what your order does? Well, the uh, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence were started in the late 70s in San Francisco in response to the HIV AIDS epidemic. And from there, it has grown to a worldwide organization. Basically, we're an order of queer nuns that serve the LGBT community. The original focus was HIV AIDS awareness, and every branch for house that opens up in a different city, they kind of need in their specific city. So we're actually the capital city sisters of perpetual indulgence in Sacramento, California. And our community is still very fractured or segmented, so we wanted to focus on promoting, like, mental health and things that are outside of the bar scene. There's nothing wrong with the bar scene. Right. We just wanted to bring that back to other areas of the community. Wonderful. And you were with the Abbey of Divine Light up there, and each sister's order has a different house, correct? It's, it's loosely based on that, yes. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're not a, you know religious groups. Mm-hmm. Some of the sisters do practice their own specific, you know, religion or spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of our sisters are also atheists or Buddhists. You know, everybody's different. You guys do white face drag. And for folks who've seen Sisters Out at Pride, you know, it's flamboyant costumes, lots of habits. Is there any significance behind the choice of white face or the different habits? I think there's some confusion. A lot of people will have, like, a different version of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first sisters, they didn't even have the white face. And then slowly, some sisters started wearing the white face and additional makeup. I like to think of it as, like, a reflection of the people that I'm serving. Mm-hmm. Just to be, like, reflecting that light within them. You know, that I, I can see the beauty with them that maybe they're not experiencing or that they can't see now, the sisters focus on queer health. What's the decision to segment that off versus addressing HIV in the larger community or some of the other mental and, and spiritual health issues? Why specifically focus on LGBT folks? I think, you know, we focus on the mental health aspects, but just in general, LGBT people are treated differently, say, when you go to the hospital, just a routine checkup. It's similar like when you're a fat person, you go to the hospital and you're like, my wrist hurts, and then all about you being fat. You know, you go, you go to the hospital because you're trans and it's all, you know, they might even call you it or not, they might even treat mm-hmm. you like you're a person. I think those are just different issues that people have and like, you know, when there's a lesbian couple or something, you know, a person that doesn't sleep with men and in that situation sometimes the doctor doesn't know how to really treat that patient because they're so focused on penis and vagina sex that, you know, they're not treating the person, they just have this way of seeing things, and that's how they're going to go about it. Branch, you were with up there, does things like yoga in the park. We'll talk about the Chunky Dunk coming up. Do people in the gay community have a different response to talking about health issues, to reaching out when it's coming from the sisters, versus if you guys were out there in scrubs and, and presenting yourself as medical professionals? Uh, well, we try to present it, you know, a little more fun. A lot of times, Safer sex education is presented in this very, like, 
dry, sterile kind of way, like, you need to do this or you mm-hmm. could get this disease. Uh, we just try to make it a little more fun, a little more rocky. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, we try to get our message across depending on the venue that we're in. If there's a bunch of kids around, we're not going to be there. A mock right. would be, you know, a different venue. What drew you to joining the sisters? I think I always knew about the sisters, and I think I kind of always thought of, I'm a kind of a behind-the-scenes kind of person, and I'm not really, like, flamboyant and loud. I'm not one that I even get nervous, like, dancing. It takes a lot to get me on the dance floor. I know another sister that was here uh, helping in Sacramento, and she's taught that I have, like, good ideas of, like, how to change me. You know, she tried to let me know that they're... Not all sisters are the outgoing, you know, loud, flamboyant sisters. There's different, you know, just like any organization, it takes different kinds of people to fill in that need. So I, I think that, and yes, I do love sparkly things, and I love clothes, and I love style, and I love all those other things, too. So each sister has their own unique look, their, their makeup, they create their own outfit. How did you come into your sister persona? Well, I think it's just a combination of ideals that I had and then just things that I'm interested in. So, like, I really like mid-century era, that kind of look. I like a lot of, like, vintage clothes, that style. I really like to keep things simple mm-hmm. and not distract from what I'm trying to, the information I'm trying to get across or how I want to make people feel. I don't want people to feel like that I'm unapproachable. You know, combining those two things, just being simple and while also showing the kind of style that I have. Now, the sisters do a number of events. You were doing bingo for a while as a fundraiser, yoga in the park, and the chunky dance. What is your order up to lately? We worked with another organization here in Sacramento, and we had a, a bingo. It's, it's really hard because most of the sisters, you know, we also have full-time jobs. We go to school. So, so a lot of the things we do, it'll, you know, come up in the summer. But we do a lot of bar ministry beyond that, just mm-hmm. going and talking to people, just kind of getting out and having fun and just being there for people. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that sisters do is we act as, you know, like if you're going to confessional and stuff, we're not judging you. You can tell us anything you want to tell us and, you know, we're not going to speak anything bad about you. So last year we didn't actually have sister yoga just because of time constraints. Every summer since we started, we've had a chunky dunk. And last year I worked with another... But sisters didn't put this event on, but sister Francis, myself did. Uh-huh. Uh, we did spin off of the country guys. We did a river rock just to see, you know, if people would be interested in that kind of thing. I mean, we had a good turnout, and I think it might be something we might consider doing at the maybe near the end of the summer. But that's, that's not planned yet. Are you planning the chunky dance this year? Yes, we are. It'll be on Saturday, August 11th, Glen Hall Pool, 5.30 to 7.30. And what is the Chunky Dunk exactly? Is it just fat people getting in the pool? What was the impetus behind starting this? Well, Chunky Dunk actually started, I believe, in Portland, Oregon, and I think it's a non-profit. They allow anyone who wants to use the main Chunky Dunk to use it as long as it kind of falls in the body positivity. Chunky Dunk is just meant to create a safe, positive space, free of any kind of shame or guilt. And those are a lot of the kind of ideas that the sisters are about, too. Within the gay community, there is a lot of body shaming. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like outside of the gay community, there's body shaming, you know, like images and stuff like that that are just letting you know, you know, we think your body's not okay. But within the gay community, I just feel like it's so blatant and just... Concentrate. I don't know. 
So I wanted to have the Chunky Guns in Sacramento as an LGBT event for everyone, mm-hmm. not just the LGBT people. I just wanted to focus on like people not feeling guilty, but also include not just really being body positivity, not just fat people. You know, there's ageism, people have scars, there's women that might otherwise be considered like thin and you know, whatever that is, but, you know, women have babies, they get stretch marks, people have stretch marks, like, people age, they droop, and you're, you know, you're so beautiful, and you shouldn't be afraid to be out in public and having fun just like anyone else. Since you've become involved with the sisters, has your relationship with your own body changed? That's interesting, because I feel like in the beginning, mm-hmm. when I was first doing before that, I was not so involved in the gay community. You know, I'd go to the bar, I'd go to events sometimes, but it wasn't so frequent. And I think in the beginning, it was, I, I've always felt really good about my body, no matter what size or shape it's taken on. And it was starting to kind of make me feel a little more self-conscious being out in the gay community more, mm-hmm. doing stuff, people coming up to you, people judging you. And there's been even situations where, like, I'd be out with other sisters and people would be like, push me out of the picture and be like, not you. Uh, because my body didn't look like what they wanted it to look like in the photo. So that was definitely a, a new experience of me feeling kind of ashamed and really just being like, okay, no, I'm not going to be ashamed about this. Just that kind of experience was so blatant about it. But I've, I've gotten over that. It was just that kind of initial shock of experiencing it so in my face, I guess. And it really can be. That type of stuff, I don't think people who take those actions necessarily realize how devastating something like that can be to the person you do that to. Yes. And it can be really hurtful and stay with you is what I found. Yes. When you reach out to talk about about health, you guys have a very well-rounded perspective. It's not just physical health or sexual health. It's the whole person. Where are you finding the biggest needs right now in your area in LGBT health? In our area and outside, I think people's mental health, dealing with life, and I think especially the current political world we're living in, it's just like two steps forward, one step back. And people might think like it's not bothering them, but you start to internalize these kind of, just like when you're a little gay kid growing up and little fat kid growing up and people are like, maybe not saying something directly to you, but just internalizing the statements and all those things you get bombarded with every day. But interestingly, another thing I feel like specific to Sacramento is a lot of people here don't practice safe for sex. Just when we're out passing out condoms, it's just kind of shocking to me how many people are like, no, we don't use those. And that's, you know, straight people or queer people or gay people. Everybody, I was kind of shocked. My family people said, no, we don't use them. For somebody, you know, I was a kid who grew up in the 80s, and that's when my sex ed was, and it was like the first wave of AIDS, and so it was sexy fool's death is what, you know, basically what sex ed was, and if you don't use a condom, you're going to die from this horrible disease. (laughs) And so the concept of not using one, like, freaks me out. (laughs) And it doesn't seem to have the same effect with this, you know, the kids that are in their 20s these days, they're like, eh. Yeah, I think sex definitely should be about pleasure. Mm-hmm. And condoms do decrease sensitivity. Some of our organizations here in Sacramento, they are really working towards getting information out about PrEP. And it, it's doing, it's really working for people that are using it. But yeah, I think sometimes not so much, you know, forcing the idea of you need to use a condom, but maybe just other things too, like you can reduce 
uh, contracting something by using loop or right. caring, you know, just kind of those other kind of things you can be doing. So PrEP, for listeners who don't know, is a once-a-day pill that prevents you from converting to being HIV positive if you're exposed to the virus, and most people tolerate it pretty well. And it's available. You have to get a prescription for your doctor. If people want more information on that or other safe sex stuff, where's how can people find their sisters locally or other ways to to connect with communities to find more information about this? Well, you can search just the general sisters of perpetual indulgence. I feel like most states in the United States have houses popping up all over the place. Mm-hmm. Like if you you will find one within somewhere around your state if you does not want to in your state. But I think other than that, just looking searching your sister you know, your city that you live in mm-hmm. and searching HIV AIDS outreach or awareness and you know, you might be contact contact one organization and they can direct you where you need to go. And if people are going to the Chunky Dunk, I know myself and my co-host Jenny Lynn are going to be there. But for folks who are going to the Chunky Dunk here or either in other cities, are you going to show up in your bathing suit? Well, I normally just wear swim trunks and then some kind of like sparkly shirt. But I will be wearing something like that and we will be in space also. So we we get in the water and we just don't go all the way in. (laughs) You know, that makeup's just... Way too much effort to stick your head underwater as soon as you it get definitely that. Is. <laughs> and if people want to find out more about the sisters or actually join the sisters, is there a process? How do they go about that? Oh, yes. Well, you can contact us on our webpage. Uh, you can talk to sisters about it if you see us out and about. You can contact us via Facebook. We have a couple city sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. You search that and we'll pop up everywhere. There, There is a process. We have a a sister position in our group is called the Mistress of Novices. That person is kind of like, I guess it'd be the equivalent of the HR department, the hiring and firing. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and just, you know, people come, just like steps, they come and hang out, they see if they're interested, and then they go to the next step, and they get to wear certain things, or they get to do certain things and not do certain things, and basically it's our way of finding out if you're a good fit for our organization, a good fit for our community, and if you're going to represent the organization in the right way before you can elevate to a fully professed sister. Excellent. Well, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for all the work that you guys do, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in August. I will see you then, and thank you so much. Welcome back to Fat Chicks on Top. We're here with Diana Hong. She's a comic on Because We Got High, which we were planning to do. I'm with gelato buns and lemon sugar cookies today. A good comedy. This is the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> I'm so happy. This is, I'm, this is amazing. Thank you for having me. We I feel so like I should have brought a gift. No, this no. Is, you are the gift. You are is, amazing. No, I don't, I'm not worthy. This <laughs> is so amazing. So we're, we're here today just to talk about comedy bodies all that good stuff obviously you're a comic you're doing well which is fantastic and you were a pro athlete before this uh yeah i mean i say that because technically i was a pro uh but like i wasn't really good like so i only made like one check um but i was i was a golfer and so athletes also subjective as well and that i feel like people debate the whole i like to say i was an athlete and so i i did the whole golf thing and then didn't really like that at changed all. Over. I changed over. I woke up one day and I was like, nah, after like 12 years. It was the worst experience. It was I had a mental breakdown in everything. It was the wow. worst experience ever. 
but yeah it's it's interesting to go from that to to comedy where what was that clarity moment where you were like nah i was having a really rough time i was really bad like i went through a really bad slump and there was a point where i realized that i was like if i can break through this i will be incredibly successful not to toot my own horn but there was a point where i was really good but I realized, like, I was like, I don't want to put the work in. Like, I yeah. that's that was the p- turning I'm not point. Passionate about yeah, this. like to do it <laughs> this much, you know. Like, I was like, if it was easier, then I think I would have stuck with it. But like, when you hit that wall and is that break, kind of like with anything, any art or anything you find passion in, is like you don't. If you, can, it's that breaking point of like, do it. How much do I love this? And right. it turned out not enough or at all because I was so fucking happy, <laughs> but I ended up losing a semi-relationship over it and my my family, like my parents and I didn't talk for a very long time. And so, yeah, it was, a, it was, that was, that was the thing that came with it because that was the thing that, even though I personally was very happy, it took me a little bit longer to like be out about it. So I basically had to come out again and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Because I knew what was at stake. Because that was my identity for a long time. Like, my friend's siblings didn't even know my name. They were just, wow. like, the golfer. Like, I've been, I identify, or basically how I identify is, like, who, um, what I do. Like, m- now I'm the comic. Uh-huh. Before, I was just the golfer. And I think it was because, like, I never really felt comfortable in my body. So I had to, like, really go heavily. Like, you know, it was, like. If you're ugly, you work on your personality, like that shit. That wasn't your question, I realize. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> no, 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 going on this like... random. <laughs> so what happens when you give me sugar and weed? <laughs> it's the best combination. So speaking of smoking, you, you break the stereotype a little bit. Normally when people think of, of people who smoke weed, and, and our connoisseurs have a, a taste and an understanding of what good weed is, they picture either a big black guy or a big white girl. I want to clarify that I do not know what good weed is. I just know what gets me high and what doesn't. Um, I just know some things get me higher than other things. So I just, I want to clarify. I'm no way, because like when, when you say connoisseur, I'm thinking ungai or you right, know right. what I mean? Like I'm not, I can't take that. I'm not going to claim any of that. But yes, I, it's, it's interesting. Like that's a stereotype because like if you think about who is the most stressed out and who has like the most pressure, it is Asian kids. Like we have Asian parents, like who needs the weed the most is, exactly. is us. So I don't know. I feel like I was actually very anti-weed for a very long, personally, yeah. like I didn't judge other people for smoking in high school. But, you know, like I was an athlete and uh, my body was my temple. And so, like, I didn't want to put illegal substances in it. So I was an alcoholic. I smoked with our high school uh, security guard. That is awesome. Yeah, that's how I got my weed in high school. So my, I, well, I should have hung out with you. Yeah. See, my sister was a competitive you. swimmer and she could suck down half a blunt at once when she was swimming. People oh. hated smoking weed with her. Yes. Uh. Why do you think Michael Phelps bong rips like that? <laughs> Duh. Like he's got yeah. these underwater well, like air capacity. That's what actually like got me so fucked up the first time I smoked weed. Okay, so I grew up with like Margaret Cho. So I like to me like there, I they, I already had the Asian stereotype being broken down because that's right, someone to look right. up to. But I do understand society really wasn't like caught up to that, obviously, because like look where we are now. And Margaret Cho came out like twenty years ago. You know, yeah. I shouldn't say that. Uh, fifteen. No, I feel like I should be more accurate. She with was that. In, she was in the clubs when I was I'm in 30, high school. Which yeah, twenty five okay, years ago. Okay, thank God because you know I just don't want to like date people that shouldn't be dated now that i'm like i turned 30 so i'm sensitive about it <laughs> this is me projecting 30. um you got 
I know. Almost 15 years apart. I'm still hungover from a week and a half ago. (laughs) Oh. One night. That's it. You brought lots of offerings to this temple that is your body. (laughs) It deserved it. Okay. Um, So when I was like college, my uh, freshman year, my friends uh, were, I had friends on the floor that were potheads and uh, I went to this party. I got really drunk and I had to come back to my room to get something. So my teammate dropped me off. And I, I was like, yeah. oh, no, I drove and they were going to come pick me up. So, no, that's not true. <laughs> okay, there's a reason because why I this is high. important, though. This, uh, yeah, right. This is, there's a reason why this is important. So either way, I had to come home for something. And I went, my friends stopped me and they're like, hey, do you want to smoke some weed? I was already tipsy. I made a lot of bad decisions. Okay, the whole driving, don't, don't do that. And it's like, <laughs> I'm, if there's, I'm not, allegedly this might have happened. I don't know for a fact. Okay. We're going to move on. But, um, so... We're making better life decisions. Yes, now. <laughs> this was a long time ago. So I, I was, I agreed. I never really had interest in weed before, but I was a little, my, you know, inhibitions were down or whatever. So I agreed, and I smoked like I was smoking like a pack of cigarettes at the time. Wow. So I had smokers' lungs. Right. And they, it was me and my other um, floor mate, and we were, we went with our friends and um, another friend, and they were playing the gorillas. So we were like those. those <laughs> came, okay, I went to Washington State, like super white. Like this is like, the, right. the, and the gorillas were like cool then, you know? So, you know, this is, imagine setting the scene. And they had, the dude po- pulls out this bucket and like those 32 ounce, like, or whatever Gatorade bottles, mm-hmm. like an empty one. Mm-hmm. And he made a gravity bog. And they sprinkled keef on it. And because it was my first time and our friend's first time, we both got greens. She she cleared like a so I went first. I cleared one completely. And then she didn't finish hers, so I cleared the rest of hers. Because I'm a dumbass. I've never <laughs> smoked before in my life. We, within about 10 minutes, got violently ill. <laughs> we were throwing up. I swear I was throwing up blood to Whoa. this day. Like, it was that bad. This is the second throw up weed story we've got. Yeah. They're, they're like, just- so, like, I was dying. So, I was, like, I felt like I was dying. So, I, uh, I was freaking out. I was so paranoid because, like, weed. And uh, I called my teammate to pick me up. So, she picked me up. And then we... <laughs> On the way back to her apartment where they were having a party, fucking, there was the cops were like surrounded the dorms or something. So when we got out, we were actually stopped. Oh, shit. But luckily, it was one of our friends. Like, it was like one of the security people. And she was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) And she was like, she was like, holy fuck. Like, Diane, are you okay? Like, I looked white, apparently. Like, like something was wrong with me. Like, I should have gone to the hospital. And they're like, she'll be fine. So we went, like, I finally went to the apartment and they, like, tucked me in. They, like, made sure I was okay. And I woke up the next day and I was just, like, so traumatized. Like, it was complete pain because I just threw up my life. Right. Because I was cross-faded. And so I hung out with my friend who also got sick, but she stayed at the dorms. And we were talking. She's like, I'm never going to smoke weed again. Like, (laughs) this is just a terrible experience. Like, like, I'm never going to try it again. No way. And I was like. I don't think I did it right, so I want to do it again. <laughs> oh. And so that's how I be, like started smoking again. I just did it in more moderation. But yeah, that oh. was that was my weed story. It was oh. it was me being really dumb, like just like not wanting to give up. 
We're going to put up vocab for greens and crossfaded at the end of this. We'll, we'll put those links up on a Urban Dictionary. But greens is like fresh green bud. And crossfaded is when you're mixing substances. I, I Whatever. Speedballing. Whatever substance. I don't know. Like, I don't do your own. So as an athlete, there I'm assuming a ton of pressure for to have a certain body type and all of that. Is that true for golf too? I think yeah, but also a lot of it comes with like if you if you weren't like feminine enough, you're a gay. Right. And I was very in the closet. Mm. So there was a lot of pressure, but I also used the athlete thing to like be lazy when it came to my wardrobe. Because I gotcha. was like that kid that like was very like sheltered because all i did was golf so mm -hmm. like it was like i just wore sweats like i didn't wear jeans until college wow did not own a pair of jeans i just wore like these like men's golf pants because i was also chubby and so i had to wear like men's clothes and i didn't wear shorts until college either wow because i was very insecure about my legs because i have nice legs and people are always surprised <laughs> Yeah, because like, I always see you in slacks and stuff. Yeah, on stage. well, because like people are like, I'm not like, uh, like don't look at my legs because I'm very, I'm not saying this to be like bragging, but like <laughs> I've been told by other people, but it's just also like it in relation to my body, like my upper body, it looks like I had, I have like chicken legs, so it makes me insecure. Oh, so that's okay. why like what I started when I realized like working out and like I did get heavily into it, I did lose a lot of weight when I was in college, but like not enough because I drank a lot. That'll make it hard to draw. Yeah, but I did, I was, like, I did lose quite a bit because I went from never working out to working out. And there's, you know, a lot of people have pressure going up, up to look a certain way. Like, I grew up in a family where when I was a young teenager, my mother used to tell me, you know, the reason people get fat is they have premarital sex. Because in my family, getting fat was worse than getting pregnant or an STD when you were, like, 15. And so, there, and, you know, your value was inversely proportional. To your waistline did you have the same type of pressure is it different with korean families well i think it's the same but we don't relate it to sex i think that was very okay. interesting because i was like wow my Whoa, parents right? we still like my mom at like 20 when i was like 24 or something uh she came back from a baby shower and no, I'm good. I'm but this stories get too long. Um, <laughs> I promise I'm a better storyteller on stage. Maybe. So <laughs> she came back from a baby shower. She was like, "Oh, when when are you gonna have one?" And like, I I wasn't out to her, but I was like, I didn't have a boyfriend. So she was like, kind of grilling me. She's like, "Oh, when are you gonna have one?" And I was like, "Well, you know, I kind of need a. I don't even have a boyfriend. You know, like you need one of those first. And then she was like, "Diana." do you know how babies are made <laughs> and i was like i'm i'm this is a little late this is very late <laughs> i took that class yeah um so yeah that was so the the whole sex thing but um yeah the pressure because like when i went to korea i couldn't find clothes in my size when i was wow. a kid growing up so like that's the societal thing like mm -hmm. koreans are number one in plastic surgery in the world oh I know granted that. The, that that statistic is very like what do you call it when it's like there's there's context to it, but mm -hmm. that's not the word I'm looking it's subjective. for. Subjective. Yeah. yeah, because like uh, it's number one in the world, but the most popular surgery is the eyelid surgery. Oh, yeah. And that's a super simple surgery. It's a 30 minute surgery and it's not like real that I shouldn't say that 
It's it's real, but it's not like you know everyone's getting facelifts or Botox. Right. It's not, but they are like all the K-pop stars lower, are. Lower. Yeah, but like now I don't want to say that because yeah, K-pop stars are getting really bad too. But yeah, so the uh, Koreans are really bad. Like I'm still like my mom. Like every time I see her, she's just like, "You're fat. Like you need wow. to lose weight." But then she's like, "Are you eating enough? You need to eat more." And like gives me all this food. Like I didn't. She never. I never. I grew up eating costco food mm-hmm. like we bought in costco so like my portion size were like what was in front of me like you know those Rit- ritz crackers yeah they come in sleeves mm-hmm. i thought one serving was one sleeve so like wow. i would just sit there and eat the whole thing and i was like okay that's fine like no one taught mm-hmm. me nutrition no one taught me how to eat like because my parents were working all the time mm-hmm. but then i saw the different beauty standards especially since i grew up watching korean dramas mm-hmm. and stuff like that and then when i went to korea i literally couldn't wear any clothes like it was it's just like that's another thing, too, is because like I feel very insecure because I was like taught like, you know, like my body is just like wrong no matter what. Right. Because okay. it was like it was I was bigger or like mm-hmm. and then I developed early. So I had breasts and then like no one really taught me about these things either. And mm-hmm. like so dressing, I'm just like cover them up mm-hmm. all the time. And then I got eczema and that shit fucking sucked because I had yeah. it in my chest and in my back. Oh. So I can't even like even show off my assets, which I was never comfortable with in the first place. Mm-hmm. But. So that like it was just a, a lot of like already insecurity. So like yeah. I, I like the look of button ups uh-huh. and you'll see me like when I try to dress up, I'll like I'll try. But like I hate them because I can't find one that like fits. They oh, always, okay. mm-hmm. you know, like open up mm-hmm. and like I love the vest. Like I like if I had like if I could live my truth, I would wear a vest. But like <laughs> I can't afford to get one that like fits me properly. OK, because also I like. Gained a little weight since I bought my old ones from the little boy section. So there's a point on the show where we ask some standard questions to our guests. What is the worst piece of advice you've gotten? You you ask this when someone's high? Yeah. <laughs> Not we, everybody gets high. That just happened for you. Oh, you're the wow. first one. This is yeah. like a test drive. <laughs> Highly recommended. Uh, <laughs> basically, if anyone just all the advice I've been giving out, I've been hearing, has been bad to know. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think just asking for too many people's advice. When people mm-hmm. say ask everyone, like ask a billion people, mm-hmm. that's wrong. You should yeah. be smart about who you ask. There's a smart way to do it. And I think uh, crowds, crowd serving for things is wrong. Yeah. That's not, that's not it. I'll probably come up with something later. Okay. And so I think we may have got the most high. What's your favorite go-to munch? Uh, those cookies, these cookies are. <laughs> what should everybody get to try at least once in their life? Weed and these cookies <laughs> at the same time. What's something you're grateful for? <laughs> Weed and these cookies at the same time. I don't know. Uh, the the are we to the, the grateful question? Because yeah. the answers, yeah, the, really the weed and the cookies at the same time uh, for that one. But yeah, the grateful for. I'm very grateful for um, deciding to go after what I wanted to do. Like my whole thing was like, I really just want to leave this world making a difference and making people happy. And like, if I can do that and I found out golf wasn't, that's another thing. Golf, I was like, who's, who's making any, I'm just making white people happy. Like just rich white people happy. And it's just like, let's be real. And it's not, I don't like that. I'd rather just make people like me who didn't have anyone to like look up to and thought they had to do something they didn't want to do for their whole life, realize that they don't. And so um, I'm grateful that I decided to take that leap and do that because I've met so many amazing people. I met you, I met 
you know, I'm here and I'm like everyone and like I met my girlfriend through comedy. So I'm so grateful for comedy. And if people think you're funny or in totally in love with you as we are or just a not sensitive bitch, where do they go to find you? <laughs> I'm working on a website. Everything. Uh, you'll find me a well hong D. So it's uh, well H-O-N-G D as in Diana dot uh, com and then Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. I will try to get better, but I've also been saying that for about four years now. So Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, mostly Facebook. Thank you for being on the show. You've been fantastic. We're going to cut because we're out of tape and go eat more cookies and smoke. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a Fat Chicks on Top production with your hosts, Auntie Vice and Jenilyn. Thank you to our sound engineer, Sharon Smith, and David Manga for our awesome music. For all things Fat Chicks, we're on every social media platform. For full interviews and explicit content, please subscribe to our Patreon.